Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. A few years ago, I was in my hometown with my family, and my mother and I made a trip to the mall. I don't remember why we went there, but it was just the two of us, and we're coming back out to the parking lot, and we hear this cry of deep sorrow over and over again. And we cannot figure out where it's coming from, but clearly it's someone in great distress. As we begin walking around the parking lot, we realize that it's probably a child, not an infant, but a young child. And it is, it is tearing both of our hearts up because it's so grief-stricken. We walk around a little bit more and we come to the unbelievable realization that the car where this child is located is next to ours. And we look in the back window and this little one feels completely abandoned and is sobbing and is hysterical and afraid. And the doors of the car are locked and we cannot get inside. And it wasn't quite hot enough that the child was in any danger within the car. The awful nature of this incident was that this little one had just been left completely alone. So my mother and I called the police and he came on the scene and he's trying to communicate to the child, and we're trying to communicate to the child, trying to offer some measure of hope. And then a relative comes out of the mall. And we realize that this situation now belongs entirely to the police and that we need to leave. And it it was so awful that the next morning we called the police station to find out what happened after we left. We felt so sorry for that little boy. Our hearts just went out to him. As I was working my way through chapter 6 this week and looking at the words of David and his anguish and his tears, and his fear, and his abandonment that he felt. I kept going back to that story. It kept resonating within me that as this child felt, so David feels in Psalm 6. Who's going to rescue him? With this little one, the police came. But David is asking the question, how long? Let's pray. Father, we rejoice that your word is hope, that your word is truth, that your word is goodness, that your word is love. And so we come here this morning and we dive into it. We want to understand it. We want to know it. We want your Holy Spirit, Lord, to 
Help us to see it in a way that perhaps we have not seen it before. Anchor our souls in Scripture, O God. Lord, forgive the one who speaks, for my sins are great. Set me aside as you and you only speak to us. Amen. So, as I mentioned last week, we have worked our way beginning with chapter 1 through the Psalms. We have arrived at chapter 6. If you will remember, chapters 3 through 5 highlighted David's fears and his petitions to the Lord because his son Absalom had rebelled against him. David is afraid. David doesn't know what to do with himself. David is coming before the Lord. I need your help. You are my only hope. You are the only one who can remedy this dire situation. So in 6... It's also a lament like chapter 5. Now let me remind you again what a lament is. It is a heartfelt prayer of complaint rooted completely in God's covenant faithfulness. David is able to come to the Lord with a prayer of lament. He is able to complain about his son's rebellion, his enemies, his foes, his heartache. Because David knows that God is good, that God is holy, that God is great, that his love is unfailing, that God has a plan, and that God will deliver on his promises for his people. So David is sure that the Lord, because of their covenant relationship, will hear and act on his righteous complaints. So it is a lament. Now, when we arrive in chapter 6, we do not know the exact specifics of the situation. It appears that David has moved on from his son's rebellion, from Absalom, and that he's feeling some kind of deep personal anguish, that he's feeling abandoned, but we don't know exactly why. And so I want to divide chapter 6 into three parts. The first is David remembers God's graciousness. The second is David remembers God's unfailing love. And the third is God remembers David. So it's God, David remembers God's graciousness. David remembers God's unfailing love. And God, our covenant Lord, remembers his son David. So let's begin with verses 1 through 3. And I want us to read our text again. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. So when we, when we examine verse 1, we're seeing right off the bat that David is saying in, in, in Psalm chapter 6 that the issue of me feeling abandoned, the issue of me being in anguish, the distress that I'm feeling is not a result of personal sin. God is disciplining me for a reason in which I don't fully understand, but it is not because of personal sin. And the reason we know that is there is a formula that we see in the other Psalms when David is repenting of personal sin. So David is asking the question, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope here. 
And there's a reason that you are taking me through this because you are sovereign and you are good and you are all-knowing and you know what is best for me, but I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm having a very hard time. Now, when we come to verses 1 through 3, I don't know about you, but for me, and I'm pretty sure it's the same for you, we can resonate with David here. We've all felt anguish. We've all been at the end of our rope. We've all been distressed. You may even be in that state as you come here this morning. And so it's a reminder to us as we see this through the eyes of King David that we have a God who is there for us and who is gracious. David is calling out because he knows that the Lord hears him. Yes, he's in anguish. Yes, he's in deep distress. But David knows that the right place to turn, the right place to go, when the afflictions of our heart is great, is to the throne of our Heavenly Father, our God. Verse 3, I think this is quite interesting. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, and then it is as if in the Hebrew that he just stops. But you, O Lord, how long? It really captures what David is going through, that he can't even finish what he's saying. That is what Psalm chapter 6, verse 3 is portraying to us. This is so hard. This is so deep. This is so challenging. I don't even know fully what to say to you. There is an incompleteness here that David is communicating that we can understand. We have all been in a place where life is so hard and it's so challenging. We just either don't know what to say or we run out of words. And that's what it's like living in a fallen world where there is evil around us, where sin infects everything. Life before the coming of the kingdom in all its fullness is so difficult and hard and challenging. As I've mentioned in our journey through the Psalms, that it's always important and significant that we interpret these verses in this chapter through Jesus. It is Jesus in the Gospel of Luke who tells us that the Old Testament is about me. The Psalms are about me. And so when we see David cry out and we hear him speak of God's wrath, we should reflect on Jesus, the one who experienced God's wrath. Why did he do that? He did it so we can experience God's grace. Here, 1 Peter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so when we come to Psalm 6, 
and we see the heart of David and we examine and reflect on our own heart, we take a giant step into the New Testament, we go to Jesus, we go to his cross, and we realize that this is our Messiah, this is our Deliverer, this is our Savior. He goes to the cross and there he experiences the wrath of God against our sin. And he does that so we can experience the grace of God. And so as we face the troubles of this life, the troubles of this world, we can do this knowing that we belong to Jesus. And that because of Him and what He has done for us, as 1 Peter 5 says, God will restore us, confirm us, strengthen us, and He will establish us. What great news for us today as we live this hard and challenging life that God hears us, that God listens for our cries, and that He has responded by sending His Son so that He can give us the grace to live for Him He has sent His Son as an answer to our prayers. David remembers God's graciousness. graciousness. We too, amidst the tears and the heartache, should remember God's graciousness because He restores us and renews us and accepts us and He places His love upon us. That is what His grace is does. Verses 4 and 5. David remembers the Lord's unfailing love. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. And Sheol, who will give you praise? David, in essence, is saying, Lord, hear me, respond to me, answer my prayer, because if I die... I cannot praise you. He's not, he's not excuse me, speaking to the afterlife. This is not a theological footnote on Old Testament views of the afterlife. David is just simply say, saying, Lord, hear my prayer so that I can continue to praise your name. And so it's good tutelage for us in terms of how we should pray. That we come before the Lord and we say, Father, hear my prayers for your glory. Lord, answer this prayer not because I need this or it makes my life more comfortable, but hear this prayer so that your kingdom may be known and your name may be praised. David is showing us that our prayer life as God's children should be about what glorifies His name and what involves the goodness and greatness and graciousness of His kingdom. The NIV uses the word in verse 4, 
for steadfast love. They write unfailing love. I'm not saying that because I think the ESV has written this in an incorrect manner. I think both definitions help us have a fuller understanding of who God is. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Save me for the sake of your unfailing love. What a wonderful reminder of who our God is. David is saying, Lord, hear my prayers because I want to continue to praise you. I want to continue to glorify you. I am all about you because you are the God of steadfast love. You are the God of unfailing love. You are my covenant Lord. You are faithful and you remember your promises. And so that's a great reminder as we come to the Lord in prayer. Not only is it about His glory, not only should our, be, our prayers be about His kingdom, but we are praying to a God who loves us deeply. We are praying to a God whose love for us will never end. It will never fail. It is steadfast. It is steadfast. We can trust in it. We can anchor our souls in it. When we think about this steadfast love, it's a reminder for us of who Jesus is. Of His unfailing love. That He delivered us. That He saved us. And at this very moment, He is praying for us. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 11. Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And he has been talking about in the previous verses of the difficulties and challenges that God's people will face in this world. And then in verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God. So here we see the unfailing love of the servant. Jesus leaves the throne room of heaven and he takes on flesh and he enters into this world and he, he walks among us, which means he experiences what we experience. Jesus was rejected by his family. Jesus was rejected by his friends. 
Jesus felt the grief of his friend dying. Jesus saw the sin that was all around him, even though he did not sin. Because he took on flesh, he gained a full understanding of what it means to live this life. So when David says that his tears are many, when David says that his heart is broken, when David says that his enemies surround him, Jesus shakes his head in full agreement. I know what it is to weep. I know what it is to have my enemies all around me. I know what it is to be left alone on the cross. I get it. I understand. And so when we we think on Jesus, when we let our hearts and our souls reflect on Jesus... It is a reminder that our God understands our prayers. That we are not calling out into the darkness. That we are not calling out and no one hears. That we have a sympathetic Savior that kneels beside us. So whatever it may be for you, issues with your family, issues with work, Loneliness, grief, anguish. You may even feel abandoned when you get on your knees and you pray before the Father in heaven. His Son, Jesus, is with you. And He is praying for you. And that when you think about the cross and you think about the empty tomb, it's a reminder that God and His love is unfailing. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring you into my family. I'm going to send my son for you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you and to comfort you. I'm going to place my name upon you. I'm going to redeem you. God is telling us through Jesus and through the Word of God that He answers our prayers, and that He hears our prayers because His love is unfailing. He is gracious, and His love is unfailing. David knew this. And we know this on a deeper level because Christ has come. And then thirdly, The Lord remembers David, verses 6 through 10. Now in saying that he remembered David, I'm not insinuating that God forgot and then he remembered. What I mean is that the Lord restores David. He hears the plight of his royal son and he responds. Because we see a change in tone of, in David in verses 6 through 10. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my, be- my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. I mean, that is, that is hard to read. David does 
feel abandoned. He is upset greatly. Verse 8. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. When I was a child, I had a Dallas Cowboys bicycle. I'm not sure why. I wasn't a big fan of the NFL. And also, the bike weighed 500 pounds. Or so it felt like as a nine-year-old. It was not a sleek, lightweight bike. This thing was built to last. And one day I was riding my Dallas Cowboys bicycle, perhaps thinking about Roger Staubach. And a friend of my sister's drove by, and I waved. And I lost control. And I landed in a pit. I fell into a large embankment. I'm, it, I think it was about five feet in height. And I was hurt pretty greatly. And I was trapped. I was pinned by the bicycle. I couldn't get out. And the only thing that I knew was to cry for help. And I laid there bleeding with my incredibly heavy cowboy's bicycle laying on top of me, fearful, screaming. And I didn't think anybody would ever come for me. Because it was sort of in a part of our neighborhood that was off to itself. And as a nine-year-old, I began to think about, this is where I will die. This is it. It's coming to an end. Trapped by this bike. And I continued to cry. And I remember hearing Hunter... And it was the voice of my best friend's dad. And he looked down into the pit, into the drainage ditch, really. And with one arm and one hand, he grabbed the bicycle like he was the million-dollar man and pulled it off of me. And then he hopped down in there and he picked me up and he dusted me off and he said, let's get you home. Let's get you some help. I didn't think that anybody would ever hear my pleas for help. I thought as a nine-year-old who was very afraid that this was it. No one would ever see me again. No one would come looking for me. The end of my days. And as I was Walking through verses 6 through 10, I, I thought of that story from my childhood, and I thought about David, and he's the complete opposite. David is a changed man because the Lord has heard his plea. Now again, we don't know the details of this situation in which he wrote Psalm 6, 
But David is saying, God and His faithfulness and goodness, because He is gracious and He is the King of unfailing love, has responded to my prayer request. He has delivered me. He has helped me. He has saved me. This is who my God is. This is what He has done. And, this is, and these are the consequences for my enemies who plague me. They will turn back and they will be put to shame because of the righteousness of God because He responds. The Lord restored David. The Lord remembers David. That's what He does for us. When we are in the pit, we should have no fear that He hears us we should have no doubts that He will deliver us. I did not think that my friend's father would come. I didn't think anybody would come. David is telling us in Psalm 6, truthfully, the Lord is telling us through David in Psalm 6, I hear you. Because I love you and I am gracious and you belong to me. I will not turn my back on you. I will deliver you. Now how do we know this? How can we know this for sure? And all we have to do is go to the Gospels. And we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And He is afraid and he does not want to drink the cup of wrath. He understands what he is going to have to go through for our sake. It's awful. And then a few chapters later, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. When Jesus leaves that tomb, God is saying to us, I hear you. I am here for you. I love you. I have not forgotten you. I've come for you and I have delivered you through my son. Because when he walks out of that tomb as the resurrected son of God, he leaves, he exits as the first fruit of the resurrection. Because we belong to Jesus, we are united to Him, we are resurrected as well. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ belongs to us. And so when we read that in the Gospels, we remember and we know that God has heard our prayers. I've sent my son, he has given his life, I've resurrected him from the dead, and in resurrecting him from the tomb, I am bringing the kingdom of God, which is the answer for all that bothers you. Because he is your older brother, because he is our king, because He provides us resurrection life and entrance into the kingdom, we can know that all of our prayer requests, all of our longings, all of our aches, all of our despair, all of our anguish, all of our tears have been answered and will be answered. 
the Lord hears and accepts us because of His Son. And so like King David in Psalm 6, we live in a broken, hard, difficult, angst-filled world where we often sense that maybe, perhaps, we are abandoned. But when we call out, we have a gracious and loving God who hears us and responds to those prayers, who responds to those cries in Jesus. May that be the hope that you need this morning for the journey that is called life. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we rejoice that you are loving and that you are gracious and that you hear us and that you have responded in sending your Son, Jesus. Lord God, help us this morning as we navigate the travails of a fallen world. Be with us as we are on this Christian journey with all the ups and all the downs. Hold our hand and guide us and continually point us to the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ, as your Holy Spirit enables us to hear you and to see you. So in your name we pray. Amen.